this episode and by the way it's episode 183 of the speed mentor podcast and i'm your host gavin wall and you're all very welcome and if you're new to the pod don't get too fucking comfortable so i'll ask you again why have you downloaded this episode and why are you listening i mean you must be here for a reason at least i hope you're here for a reason so take a few moments to think and reflect why you really are here you know i make this podcast for a reason Okay, and the main reason is to have an impact on your life to make a difference to you. I'm not fucking selling anything, there's no merch here going on. Look, I mean, I have other projects and lots of other works coming out my ears nationally and internationally, so there's lots of other stuff that I could be doing. But I want to have an impact on your life, that's important to me. And I'm just sense checking that you're listening with purpose and intent so that you're ready to receive. And open to receive this message. I mean, the truth is, a plenty of people, perhaps even most people, who hear the same material, but are they really actually listening? They might be hearing it, but are they really listening? Are they ready to absorb and take the necessary action? In fact, I'll, re- I'll rephrase that. Are they ready to take the necessary massive action? Well, we're, all, we're here, and we're now heading into spring, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. So this is a great time to get set for the spring and the summer ahead as their key periods. Now, don't forget, I'm not forgetting about all the walruses down in New Zealand and, and Oz, as with lots of traction down there too. So you're heading into different seasons, but every season is a key fucking season. So, And as I was thinking about this episode, I felt, you know, we should go and, and do something a bit really sort of tangible today, maybe pick through some of some of my successes and learnings in multiple different sectors over several decades to try and distill some key elements um, for each of you which can help you navigate wherever you are in your life right now. Because I know we've got listeners from, from younger to older, so reviewing things that happened in my 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s should have resonance for the widest possible swathe of walruses today. So let's go back in time like the Doc and Marty fucking McFly and understand some of those pivotal moments which can determine whether you'll end up as Biff or George McFly or be the main man in your own fucking movie, Marty fucking McFly. And for the technical uh, among you, maybe you can unlock your own Doc Brown. If you're more of a sort of an Andrew Cuthbert type, my co-CEO in the change. Now, as we develop over our lives, we develop and learn, or, or at least that's a target for for the lifelong learners um, that we are. So let's jump in the plutonium-powered DeLorean time machine and go back to my 20s. And just for a reference point for you, so that you know where we are um, in this time travel, I am 51 today, and in 10 days' time, I'll be 52 so I was born in 1970, so that can just frame the time travel we're, we're going to do today. So here it goes. Let's go back in time. And by way of brief background for any new listeners, I was pretty un- entrepreneurial throughout my childhood, but was sort of steered towards law, as that's what my dad did. And by my mid-twenties, I was a slizder working by... <laughs> 
freak circumstances as a solicitor in the civil service. I don't know if you could imagine somebody who's less civil service than me, um, rather than working in my dad's um, legal practice, which was one of the most successful legal practices in Northern Ireland. At the time, there was a freak set of circumstances. I'll maybe touch upon those later on. Now, I was bored working as a solicitor. I was pretty bored in the civil service and my entrepreneurial antennae started to develop as I sought out a couple of sidelines. But I just I just didn't know what these sidelines looked like at the time. I didn't have enough confidence in myself and I wasn't sure that I had the chops to be a real entrepreneur. I had no reference points in my life or my circle of family or friends about commerce at all. So some of you listening may at that stage, maybe at that stage of your life right now, but remember when I was at that stage in my 20s, that was pre-internet, so I couldn't just look this stuff up I mean, I could count on the fingers of one hand the amount of business people I knew. Uh, Entrepreneurship wasn't even a word in Northern Ireland back in those days. It's hard to believe. I mean, if you call yourself an entrepreneur back then in the 90s in Belfast, someone would have knocked your bollocks in for being a twat and getting above your station. That's the type of fucking place we were in. Now, the only people I knew um, in my circle were people in the professions or working in the civil service. You know, doctors, lawyers, accountants, all the rest of it. Um, Now, remember... Due to the troubles back in the 90s, this place had been so scarred um, with brutality over the previous three decades that that the only jobs that there were, 70% of the people employed in this country were employed by the government. There were civil servants and there was feck all actual business happening. So the two actions I could take to build my knowledge at that time, as I say, you may have more now with the internet and access, and um, were firstly not to be afraid to ask the small handful of business people I came into contact with about how they were doing things. That was the first thing. And secondly, I was reading franchise magazines religiously. Those were the two big things I could do over and over again and eventually develop two opportunities. The first was I bought a franchise territory for half of Northern Ireland for international phone cards. Again, pre-internet, pre-dialing um, up on WhatsApp. So international phone cards it used to cost a fortune. It would be a pound a minute to ring Australia, for instance. I bought an inter- so a franchise for half a territory of Northern Ireland for international phone cards. And I also started building um, a sort of a property portfolio. Now, to be honest... I didn't get much knowledge from the business people I talked to within the small circle of people that I knew in business. Um, many were, were were probably too guarded and didn't want to share their knowledge with me, except for one, except for one person. I'm not sure I've ever mentioned him before in the podcast, but the truth is, if you knock on enough doors, eventually one of them will open, no matter where you are in the world. So I'll give a big shout out to a guy called James McGeown, who was the one person from a business family. Uh, James and his family own the Park Centre in Belfast. They're pretty low-key, to be honest. Uh, I have a lot of respect for them, and I'm friends with um, their family to this day. And they have multiple other business interests across uh, Northern Ireland and for, further for, uh, further afield. Now, Jamesy, over a few pints, actually, I can remember. I can still remember to this day. It was down in the Chelsea Bar in the Lisburn Road in Belfast. But over a few pints... James explained to me how to do property and how to build it into something scalable. Essentially, the model was this. It was to buy a doer-upper in my personal name by begging, borrowing and stealing the deposit, which meant, in my case, actually putting it on a credit card and then balance transferring that credit card to another credit card at zero rates until I could repay it. Uh, A dozen uh, deposit in those days was about 5% of the cost of the house, value of the house, and you could get a terraced house in Belfast for as little as £30,000 down in places like the village in Belfast at, at that time. Now, 
I know property it's talked about a lot across social media and it's obvious maybe how to do these things now, but it, it wasn't back in those days. Um, and my first house, I bought a brute of a house on the Donegal Road for 57000 That broke the flipping price ceiling there were for houses at the time. But it was a great big house and I saw plenty of opportunity to get a good rent for it. And it was all about the yield, as Jamesy had told me. So then what you do is you move in, you do the house up until there's significant value from the improvements that you've added. And then you let the house out to tenants and you swap the mortgage on to a buy-to-let mortgage. Um, using the additional capital you've created from the value of the house as a deposit for the next house or else go back to credit cards again like I did on plenty of occasions and I ended up in that particular house with a 12% yield um, and then what you do and I got higher yields on other houses but that first one I wanted to go go safe on one that I thought I could rent and get a good um, I was a wee bit safer maybe than some others I did in, um, that, that followed on but then rinse and repeat this process then rinse and repeat that process and I did that for 15 years until I had 48 houses um, leading into the, the mid-noughties and it was pretty simple in a way um, and I was able to do that without giving up my job and then uh, the 08 property and banking crash ultimately wiped me out not because of the buy-to-let housing piece that I developed but because I bought four bits of land in 2005-2006 which were leveraged and which had no income when the crash happened and the banks called in the loans now the other sideline I developed after exhaustive research on franchises was the International Phone Card franchise, which was something I could do in my spare time. Stocking phone cards in corner shops, supermarkets, kebab shops and hostels. In fact, I was even listed as a supplier for uh, Henderson Group, who I later um, worked with in, in spa stores. Now, I became the number one franchise for phone cards in the whole of the UK. And I was actually gifted the second half of Northern Ireland by the master franchisor uh, with a promise for the whole of Ireland because I was de- I was delivering so well for the company. However, however, and this is important, despite my hard work, the franchisor um, was purchased by a large American a large American company called Clarity, but they took on too much debt to purchase what was called Connect-a-Card at that time, K-O-N-N-E-C-T-A, Connect-a-Card. And they took on too much debt to purchase it and ultimately connect the card folded. Now, this is quite interesting. I was thinking back to this um, the other day. Connect the card had told Clarity that they had a massive turnover. But the truth was that Connect the card were selling franchise territories, charging a franchise fee, which was five grand, then issuing 20 grand's worth of cards to each franchisee. And they were then booking that 20,000 worth of cards as sales and then grossing those up as a purported huge turnover across UK. But the truth was that many of the franchisees were poor quality franchisees. They were signing up anybody they could with massive promises and the franchisees were underperforming and the 20 grand's worth of stock was sitting in corner shops unsold. And Clarity ended up buying an absolute stinker. Now, I was performing in Northern Ireland, but lots of the other um, territories were not performing. So, what did Marty fucking McFly learn that is useful to all of us from those adventures which I started in my 20s? I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. Well, the first, the franchise route for someone starting in business was a great learning curve. But the truth is, you're only ever as good as the mantra, uh, the master franchisor or the brand. I mean, do proper due diligence on them. Something I didn't actually do. I checked out lots of franchises, but I picked the model that suited me best. 
without thinking too much about whether there was stability in the Master franchise or so. I went from knocking my pan in and having the number one franchise in the UK to losing that entire business overnight when the phone cards I'd placed with my retailer stopped working and the customer complaints started piling up. And, and I was left actually clearing up the mess, which was one that was not of my making. So the quality of the brand, the standards they maintain, the amount of time they've been in the marketplace, think of think of this as really important to who you're partnering with as a franchisee. Now, the Wall Group has two main brands, which are Spar and Subway, and they've been around for decades and are massively successful. And the royalties that you spend towards those two brands are probably money well spent on quality brands. Now, secondly, though, on the flip side, because Spar and Subway, for example, are mature brands, it's very difficult to get genuine scale due to the level of saturation that they already have in the marketplace because they've proved themselves. But you must weigh that against an earlier stage opportunity such as I had with phone cards where I could get the whole of Ireland. I could get the whole of Ireland if it delivered um, from one five five thousand investment. But my successful business evaporated overnight because it wasn't proved as a model. Well, the model was probably proved, but it was the sale to the American company um, at a valuation that it wasn't worth with too much debt that actually wrecked it. So third thing about all of this is in relation to the property, I actually learned at that stage how a simple and repeatable business model could grow to scale from a reasonably small initial seed capital of a couple of grand. Now, if it stuck to that model and didn't buy the land in 05, 06, 07, um, I'd never have been wiped out. But the reason I bought the land was that the houses were not delivering a yield that was acceptable to me as the prices were too high and I made the mistake of jumping into an earlier stage of the housing chain where I didn't understand the risks of the demand loans with personal guarantees on assets which lost 90% of their value overnight and didn't produce any income to pay the loans I'd taken. Jesus Christ, man, what a mess. Now, my biggest learning from this experience was actually diversification. As I was too concentrated in a single asset um, class at that time, and I promised myself I'd never leave myself so exposed to a sort of shock like that in one single asset class again. And I've stuck to that ever since, and it helped me massively during the COVID period, whenever I probably had a third of my business interests were wrecked, a third were fair to Midland, and a third were through the roof. Okay, fourth thing, something else that may be interesting and deserves some analysis of the younger me as we travel back in time is my motivations at that time. Now, why was I not happy with with my nice job as a solicitor in the civil service with a pension and all the rest of it? My mum wanted me to stay in it. The truth is, I was driven actually at that time by a negative and pretty corrosive emotion throughout the whole period. Now, I've been open about this before, and my drive was to be more successful than my dad, um, who I felt had let me down by sort of nudging me towards law before cutting me loose two weeks before I qualified as a solicitor, leading me um, to being an unemployed solicitor, while somebody from my own very fucking class at Queen's University was in Donlian Wall. He was in my class training to be a solicitor, and he was in Donlian Wall, and I wasn't, and, and he's a partner, and he's there to this very day. Now, ultimately... It has worked out well for me, much better than if I'd been uh, a solicitor in Donnelly Wall. But my drive all came from me wanting to show my dad and the world that I was better than him. That I was better than him. Now, some people might like me saying that, but that's that. I'm just telling you the truth. There was there was quite a bit of loathing um, in there, if I'm honest, and it dominated every waking moment of my life for years. Now, it's not a healthy mindset. 
And thank, thank, thankfully, I'm long over it now, largely because I delivered my goal of being more successful than him in Belfast with cheese on top. But I'm just being truthful that uh, that type of negative centering of your motivation is not good for your fulfillment in the long term. But you see the truth? Say it quietly, folks. There's nothing quite like saying to yourself, I'm going to show that fucker, whether it be an ex-employer or a lover or a parent or a business partner, and then serving your revenge cold in the form of your success, uh, which they had blocked you from or held you back from in some way. Now, I think most mindset coaches would probably be disgusted by me saying, saying this stuff. But in the medium term, even for something like three to five years, which I consider medium term, I say, use it like a fire of molten fucking lava in your innards to drive you on. Who gives a fuck what a mindset coach will tell you? This shit can work in the real life. Trust me, it really can. Let's jump back in the DeLorean and fire up the flux capacitor. My next stage is in my 30s where we're swapping to here when, when I switched from being a solicitor to being a barrister. And I just couldn't let the legal thing go. For, I think it was all to do with my dad in the back of my head. Um, even though it was obvious probably to most people, except for myself, that I was an entrepreneur in reality and not a lawyer. But being a barrister, actually, being a barrister is very closely aligned to being a solopreneur. And in any event, in parallel to this, I was still building my property portfolio. So I was still in business and felt that I could maybe have the best of both worlds, the law and the business. Now, the barrister gig um, was pretty straightforward in in a way. I mean, the path to success in in barrister land is tried and tested. I should point out that I sold my first property. I made 17,000 profits. So the first property that I bought, I built up uh, quite a portfolio at this stage. But I sold that very first one that I bought on the Donegal Road. I made a profit of 17000 and I used that money to go back to Queen's to give up my job as a solicitor in the civil service, then to go back to Queen's and then to um, switch at the Institute of Professional Legal Studies from solicitor training to barrister and then to fund myself as I learnt my trade and was a pupil barrister. But back to what I was saying, the path as a barrister to success is well trodden. Um, If you get to be one of the top barristers, you make good enough dollar. Okay, anywhere from probably 250,000 a year to 750,000 for a high performing barrister in Northern Ireland. Now, this is what we call a red ocean business where the barrier to entry was the qualification. But once you're qualified, you're competing directly with multiple others in a well-defined marketplace. I mean, it's tough. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't want to underplay it. And I know a lot of barristers have a tough time. And in fact, 50% drop out within three to five years due to lack of business, due to lack of business, and probably only 30, well, 25% probably of all barristers make any significant money. But if you do get into that bracket, you're probably 250 to 750. And this was meat and drink to me. In fact, you know something? I would say, it just occurred to me, I would say that most of those barristers who drop out probably could do with quite a bit of mentoring uh, and um, quite a bit of coaching. If they had the mentoring and coaching, I would say... Um, those ones you're dropping out, a lot of them actually could be successful. And this was meat and drink to me. And the key, it's quite simple. Key, simple metrics to be successful. 
Firstly, work harder than your competitor, okay? That's the number one. All day long, work harder than your competitor. Secondly, build better relationships with your suppliers, who in this case are your solicitors. I mean, you, you get your brief from a solicitor. I mean, you must make your solicitor look good. You are their embarrassed, or not their embarrassed, you're their ambassador. You're their ambassador. I mean, if you're successful, now you're doing your work for the actual client, but you're the ambassador for the solicitor. Now, if you're successful, they're successful and they'll get more clients and then they'll instruct you even more. I mean, in truth, I was pretty shocked at how many barristers put in a shitty effort, if I'm truthful. I'm not having a go at my old profession. I loved that profession. Second best career in the world after being an entrepreneur. But you know what? There's a shitty effort put in by quite a few of them. Um, D, and that was C. D, then I kept spreadsheets to mark uh, my own performance, how I delivered who I delivered for, what cases I won, how many cases, what was I making from a fee perspective on those cases. And then particularly that was important to me as I was recycling those fees into my property business. Um, e, uh, next thing you need to do is immediate responses to emails, getting your opinions back quickly to your solicitors. Keep fucking impressing them, folks. F, fighting like a dog in court to get good results. You have to get good results not be afraid to put yourself out on a limb. Not be afraid to look stupid like, you know, starting something new every day. Get up and be prepared to fail. Now, that means you have to prepare to, to be successful. But sometimes you just have to push the envelope a little bit. And I, um, gee, I set my goals and got after them. So I was setting big, hairy, um, guerrilla goals, even as a barrister. And then H, I think, um, I was, this is, goes back to this point at F, I was fearless in my attack on vested interests. Uh, even though you're in a traditional business such as being a barrister, and I can remember taking a, a judge to the high court, I took a judge to the high court by way of judicial review, um, and I was advised by senior members of the bar, and my own master, who I felt they had all been nobbled to get me to stand down from this case I was taking against this judge. But you know what? I didn't fucking stand down because I was a man on a mission. <laughs> I knew I'll play that song. But anyway, now these are the principles um, that you should apply in most entrepreneurial endeavours. Goal set. Work hard. Don't be afraid to go against the incumbents to beat them. And you will be successful. Right, so let's get back in the DeLorean and head to the late noughties, my late 30s, when the Wall Group was founded as a sort of a small corner shop of less than 500 square feet with a few petrol pumps on a small forecourt out the front on the Crumlin Road in Belfast. I'd at last grown the balls to leave law after, after I'd achieved everything I possibly could, had done the big cases, made plenty of money, but got to the point where there was no growth left for me in that profession. I'd matured and I now wanted an unlimited challenge. Now the Wall Group journey has so much in it to share, but with limited time in this episode, and it's important to remember, it's important to remember in the background of the Wall Group journey that I got wiped out by the property and banking crash of 08 and I was living, um, lost home, lost absolutely everything, all the properties, lost every single penny. I was living in my sister-in-law's back bedroom for five years with my wife and one child and two, then three um, throughout this period. But, but, that failure steeled me like nothing else I'd ever experienced, Okay. That failure steeled me. Without that failure, without losing everything, I would not be the person I am today. And that's the most important thing that's happened to me in my business life. It's a little matter we need to talk about. So, what did I do? I applied the learnings from the buy-to-let experience in the wall group. 
It's a simple model. Do one shop, improve it, enhance its value, then use funds from the improved shop to buy a second shop, then rinse and repeat. It was quite simple. It was just back to what uh, James McYoung had told me back in the Chelsea, back in those days. A rinse and repeat. Do one, do it well, improve it, use some of the value created from that to do the second one and rinse and repeat. Now, we opened a new store every nine months for eight years, and today... The management team, which runs the business without me, they run the business without me. The management team um, will grow the business to over 200 staff this year. And I think it's probably north of 40 million uh, turnover in grocery, fuel and food to go. So what did I learn from from this one, from the wall group, which I can share? Well, weirdly, (laughs) this is a weird one. The motivation for this one came from a negative source again, which was the failure of the property empire. Just like just like with my dad, I was driven by something negative for large periods of this time, albeit I knew at this stage what I wanted in my life once I'd built myself back up. I mean, this period, we were living on beans and toast. Beans and toast uh, and out-of-date food. I mean, this journey was like no other I've done. It taught me the merits of gratification, deferment and sacrifice. Something I didn't know as much in my in my barrister life when I was driving around like cock of the fucking walk and my Porsche 911 convertible and my Rolexes and all the rest of it. Um, this taught me proper fucking sacrifice. Out-of-date food for seven years. Built a, a plan of seven-year sacrifice, which I've talked about on the podcast before. And I learned also during this period how important it was to build a team, a team of people who complement your skill set. Now, all the major things went rent, which went wrong on this wall group journey happened when the team was underpowered. You must have uh, a team of A players around you. And as I just told you, they are running this business now without me letting me do other things and they're running it better than it was run when I was running it. So don't be afraid to be humble and let other people do that. So despite some of my deep-seated, deep-seated negative drivers at this time, and I've told you about this was the failure. I was I was just trying to prove myself. Um, we built, we actually built a beautiful ethos of crafting a mission, which was hashtag back in North Belfast, hashtag back in North Belfast. Everything we did was to make a difference to the communities of North Belfast, which have had a raw deal throughout the troubles in Northern Ireland. And it became really all about community and building a team. Now, the brands I partnered with were the best in the world, so they were reliable to invest the thick end of a decade of my life into. Now, remember the phone card situation, connector cards, where I built a business and then the franchisor went up in smoke? This won't happen with Subway and Spar. So I had the confidence to commit this decade of my life. However, there's one big but. This was quality business, okay? This was quality business, good quality business. But for me, it had a glass ceiling and I was becoming increasingly uncomfortable about that. You know, it's a bit like the barrister thing as well. Spar and Subway, they control the market. They control the market. They are really, okay, you've got freedom, but they're still your boss. They are only, a, I mean, they're only a couple of players bigger than the wall group in this market in Northern Ireland and they're not that much bigger than us to be honest so there's a limit to where we can go to in the grocery and food to go and post office market in Northern Ireland don't don't get me wrong most people would be over the moon over the moon with where we got this business to but my drive which is no longer grounded in a negative energy towards my dad or towards property failure but towards creation of something greater than being a part of somebody else's ecosystem 
I wanted to create my own ecosystem where there are no limits. Where there are no limits. So my first attempt at this was actually to create, uh, as we go back in the DeLorean, to create the ecosystem which was Yogi Berry. That was a dessert saloon which I planned to roll out across the country. I could put the stores wherever I wanted to. I could roll out as many as I wanted to without Subway or without Spa or saying anything to me. Uh, and, but it went wrong for many reasons. Uh, firstly, I would say insufficient management support within my team. The, the management team wasn't strong enough when things went wrong, particularly when a lot of equi- equipment issues arose with the frozen yogurt machines. Um, we had a great brand, but it had a mixed message. Didn't know whether it was ice cream or frozen yogurt. We picked probably poor store locations and ultimately it led to a loss of over £600,000. Now, however, I got something right. I did get something right about this one and I got it right because, do you know the truth? There's no room for ego and pride in business. Anybody who has ego and pride in business, that can fucking kill you. And Yogi Berry had the potential to wreck the wall group. It had the potential to wreck the wall group if I had hung on to it any longer. But I didn't. I said, you know what? <laughs> I don't want to lose everything. So I closed it up super quick, took it on the chin over 600 grand when I realised that we were bleeding out. And if I hadn't done that, I genuinely could have lost everything on the wall group. And one final thing I learned here is actually on that Yogi Berry journey. And that was one of the most important and powerful things I've learned on my journey was that was the power of social media, which I used for the first time to market Yogi Berry. And it was something that I would later harness for my own personal profile in the coming years. So, McFly, let's get back in the DeLorean. And that's when he came up with the idea for the flux capacitor. Where are we going to next? So the next thing is uh, the Speed Mentor, which grew totally organically zero capital investment, no investment whatsoever, no need for credit, no money in, and um, grew from a a desire to make an impact on the whole of Northern Ireland, not just North Belfast. So I'd grown my vision from North Belfast to the whole of Northern Ireland at this stage. Now, I was adding lots of value to people, dolloping my experience of failure and success into the entrepreneurial ecosystem here on a pro bono basis for a number of years. I was organising events, I was showcasing charities through the Greatest Showman events, I was mentoring and I was um, putting that on LinkedIn. I learnt about social media from uh, Yogi Berry, just putting that on LinkedIn, which I was drilling LinkedIn on a daily basis back when it was just a, a, a bit of a recruitment page and it was nothing much more than that. This was from 2017 onwards. And what I learned from doing social media on Yogi Berry was a great boon to me when I started uh, sort of just promoting the fact that I was adding value to people in Northern Ireland. And ultimately, the Speed Mentor was created out of that process. And then came the podcast, which you're listening to today. And it wasn't long because of all the value that was being put in before I was earning £500 an hour as a one-to-one mentor. I had created the Speed Mentor Retreats where I would get paid 15 grand um, for um, a weekend um, with uh, a hand-picked group of mentees. And in time, in time, I have absolutely no doubt that if I continue doing that, I could significantly grow, uh, increase and grow the rate of pay. And I, I would say there's probably a, a million per year um, business in the Speed Mentor that I created. Now, this happened very quickly. For me, and do you know why it happened so quickly? Because of the authenticity of my work. The money was genuinely the outcome 
or the result of the value add that I was putting into Northern Ireland. I remember giving a speech at an event that was um, uh, Lucy's event and um, I remember giving a speech, only just Lucy, um, and uh, in the Titanic Hotel and I had not started charging for my work there. And I said in the speech, tomorrow if I decided to charge for my work, I would be the highest paid mentor in Northern Ireland. And I knew that because of the value I'd added. So I didn't set out to be a paid mentor, but I love this work and um, I put everything into this and people responded. Okay. Now, there have been several imitators since I left this ground, vacated the ground here in Northern Ireland. But the truth is, I left the bar for a similar reason, which was I, I don't like the hourly rate as you're limited to being remunerated in direct proportion to the quantity of the work multiplied by your hourly rate. For the work. Now, I know that Speed Mentor could have developed into other ways, building a community, group mentoring sessions, masterminds, all sorts of things like that, all of which increase earnings and the success of mentees. Do you know what? The, success, the thing that I miss about it is the success of the mentees is the most amazing feeling they've probably ever had in the world. But ultimately, ultimately, this is what I'm getting around to saying. My learning from this, and I could be proved wrong on this was that this was still not an unlimited opportunity. It was still not an unlimited opportunity. And I kind of knew where my life, life would map out if I continued with it. And I knew the ending. And I don't like knowing the ending. And this is a horrible probably thing to say when I'm doing a, an episode uh, about speed mentor and about mentoring sort of thing and about... But anyway, I'm just telling you the truth. So that led, that led me to... <laughs> One of these is going to come big for me one day. That led to the change, which will probably be my last big one. I'll say the change will be my last big one. Um, I have no idea of the outcome. Absolutely no idea of, of the outcome of the change. And I like that. The opportunity is unlimited. And it is blue ocean rather than red ocean. And I like that too. The uncertainty excites me. It keeps me focused and sharp. Our target is 10 billion of value in 10 years. Now, the journey has been the hardest of them all by a million miles and I've had some tough journeys. Now, we're creating companies and opportunities in blue ocean spaces where there are no franchisors showing you how to do things. There are no established similar companies you can pinch their ideas from or learn from. And perhaps, unsurprisingly, things haven't quite gone as we expected. Now, we targeted setting up Northern Ireland's first early stage private venture fund, trying to raise 50 million. Uh, and we did set up our fund and we got it all registered and approved by the FCA. And we came very close to raising the funds, but we fell a little short. We fell a little short. And then, in truth, actually, a whole lot of other opportunities um, fell into her lap. I don't understand one damn thing that's going on around here and why nobody can give me a simple straight answer. Here's a summary as the DeLorean comes back to the present. Here's a, a summary of where we are today. So we have, firstly, we have our own startup, which is Legacy Score, LegacyScore.com. Check it out, folks, um, where we're building something really special. And we plan to raise 10 million plus uh, at a 10 million plus market value uh, pretty soon. Now, I have funded the project and um, I have supported Andrew, who has driven it, um, along with the original founder, Roger uh, Mulligan, who um, left us amicably in 2021. Now, it's a consumer-focused fintech. We launched the product recently. We've, we've grown it to over 600 users from zero marketing, and we plan to disrupt how wealth is managed, understood, and grown. I mean, instead of a, a credit score, think of it this way, instead of a credit score, which tracks debt, Everyone should have a legacy score which tracks your wealth. 
Secondly, second thing we have the change innovation. Um, uh, the change innovation services. It's a it's an international company, very active in Germany, UK, and several other markets too. We've delivered more than one hundred million of project approvals in the last eighteen months, and we we literally must be the fastest growing innovation and consultancy business in the whole of Europe. Uh, we've just appointed five new staff in Germany, and we're working uh, with some of the largest companies in the world uh, now that. COVID has subsided. Andrew and I, we've done this all remotely. Uh, Andrew and I are looking forward to travelling to Germany on the 1st of June to meet with our team there and some of our clients in the flesh. Thirdly, the change intellectual property. Now, we collaborate with startups and scale-ups, supporting them in areas where they're short uh, in their founding team. Now, it could be in relation to product market fit or innovation ideation, uh, marketing, connecting into potential customers, navigating the venture journey and fundraising. Um, And we've had considerable success here. We've already had our first fully completed uh, 10 million plus raise for a venture venture partner company. Or I want to say 10 million plus valuation, I should say, uh, partner company. And with three more in the pipeline right now. And this is a real special specialism of Andrews who has amazing skills and we're planning to build a repeatable model um, to deliver this offering where we take sweat equity as we grow our partners. So fourthly, the Venture Fund is currently parked a little bit. We've worked up a number of angles on it. Um, The fund is fully and legally formed and we're approved by the FCA and I have no doubt that that will take off in the future uh, but we're just concentrating on the other things. Now, what have I learnt from all of this work Uh, with the change that I didn't know from my previous journeys. That's the important thing for you today because I don't know what stage you're at on your journey. Well, there is so... What I've learned is that there's so much business happening outside of Ireland and the UK. I mean, in fact, if you're based in Northern Ireland, we're so colloquial, it's it's unbelievable. There's so little in Northern Ireland in truth um, and we can do more by looking further afield. So even outside UK and Ireland and it's just waiting there. All of this business is really just waiting there for talented or or not so talented people, in my case, to reach out with plan with a plan and determination and hoover the fucking stuff up. There is so much business out there internationally. Now, my big goal now is to hit my personal number by the age of uh, 60 years of age and then at 60 to lead a full philanthropic life thereafter. Now, I'll maybe share that uh, my personal number with you in the future, but I've got it written down and it's burnt into my psyche. And uh, Maybe if you want to hit me up and have a guess at what my own personal number is, we'll, we'll see if you can get close. Now, now, I know that creating business that isn't part of the orbit of other larger players is the only way um, to hit the kind of numbers I'm targeting um, to get to by the age of 60. So you need to be developing your own orbit rather than being a small part of somebody else's orbit or even a significant part of somebody else's orbit if you want to do this. Of course, doing that is much riskier to t- um, taking that route. The chances of failure are much greater. The effort is much bigger, um, but the, the upside potential is exponentially greater. And that's what I'm chasing down with Andrew and our teams. Now, as we draw to a close Close in this longer episode. I hope our journey together, going back to the future in the DeLorean with the doc, who's Andrew in my in my life, digging out some of those learnings will help you wherever you are now too. Now I'm encouraging, or I'm trying to encourage, maybe even maybe even harangue you sometimes to be the very best that you can be. And I think the breadcrumbs from my journey are a useful marrow sucking reference point for you. Now one more shout out. 
and it's to uh, my very own Lorraine Baines McFly, aka Helen Wall, who has supported and put up with me as I discover all of this shit. I thank you and love you, and you are my rock. So look, Wallaces, I'm no different from you. I'm probably just setting slightly bigger goals, working a little harder, bringing one or two more high-quality people along with me, and having a vision of how my future looks. There's no reason why you can't be working on your own flux capacitor and telling your story to many who will learn from it in the future one day. And whether you do that or whether you don't do that is your choice.